reading coming from Psalm 116. The psalmist says here that because he turned his ear to me, I will call upon him as long as I live. Matthew Henry says this, As long as we continue living, we must continue praying. This breath we must breathe until we breathe our last, because then we shall take leave of it. Till then, we have continual occasion for it. We need to be people of prayer. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. I love the Lord, for He has heard my voice. Because He turned His ear to me, I will sacrifice a thank offering to Him and call upon the name of the Lord. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And now with that, let us take our Trinity hymn books, the Trinity hymn books, and turn together to number 76, 76 in your Trinity hymn books with grateful hearts.
Would you join me in prayer, please? Our Father in heaven, we do thank you, Father, for your watch care over us. We thank you, Father, that we can meet together on this, your Lord's day. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would own this time. Pray, Father, that uh, your name would be honored and glorified as we seek to worship you. Pray, Father, that as your word is opened and as we sing songs of praise, pray, Father, that you will give us understanding hearts, give us a desire, Lord, to lift up your name on high. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world this day, those who are facing hardship, those who are unable to gather together safely today. We pray, Father, that you would watch over them and draw near to them. Pray, Father, that you would be with them and help them, Father, to know that you love them and you care about them. Pray, Father, that you would be with those from our own congregation who are under the weather and not able to be here. Ask that you might draw near to them and and just meet with them this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now again, inside the Trinity hymn book 322, hymn 322, a hymn that speaks of the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. Lord of the Sabbath, hear us pray in this thy house on this thy day. 322. Kingdom, we shall 
For our consecutive reading today, please turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. This chapter has 50 verses, so I uh, won't comment much. Uh, I think it would be good for us to look back to chapter 11, and we're going to read uh, verses... 2 through 6, and that might help us lead into chapter 12 a little bit better uh, as we see a question that is asked, and then uh, those things that take place in 11 and 12 and 13, uh, we see as Christ's actions and words uh, confirm who he is when asked who he is. And when, so I'm in uh, chapter 11, verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And then in the following chapters, we see a group who is greatly offended uh, by Christ uh, as he confronts some of the pharisaical laws and rules. Chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this meant, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, He went into their synagogues, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which while spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. 
I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judge. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things, and an evil man, out of the evil treasures, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. 
while he was still take, talking to the multitude, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hands toward the disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. As again this morning we seek our God together in prayer, we want to especially remember the Grace Baptist Church in Warsaw, Indiana with Pastor Aaron Hoke as we pray together. Let us seek our God. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Word of God. We know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of our God. Father, we're thankful that the Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and we would pray that even as we have heard your Word read to us this morning, that it would have an effect upon us. That the Word of God would truly be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path by your grace, that we would be doers of that word. Help us, we pray. Father, we're thankful for every good gift that you give to us. We're thankful for the gift of your word. We're thankful for the gift of the Lord's Day. May we as your people delight in this day as we thank you for your wisdom that gave it to us, that we might set it aside to worship you and to delight in you. Father, we're thankful, for, most importantly, for the gift of salvation that you provided through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that many of us who sat here this morning have been justified before you because of what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. And Father, we're amazed at such great love that you would have, that you would be willing to send your only begotten Son into this world that we might know eternal life. Father, we pray this morning that as your word goes forth, not only from this place, but wherever your word is preached faithfully, that you might bless, that you would be pleased through the preaching of your word to open blind eyes, to break stony hearts and give them hearts of flesh. May you be pleased to add to your kingdom as the gospel is proclaimed. And Father, we would pray especially for our brothers and sisters there in Warsaw, Indiana. We thank you for our partnership together with them in the gospel and pray that, Father, you might continue to use them there where you have planted them for the good and the advancement of your kingdom. Father, we pray for Pastor Hoke that you will give him wisdom, help him as he cares for the flock. We ask that for his own sake as well as the sake of that congregation, that you would raise up or bring in other men who would be able to labor along beside him. How we pray that we might rejoice with them in, in times to come, that you've been pleased to give them a plurality of elders there in that place. We know that Pastor Hoke will soon be leaving and going overseas to Switzerland. And Father, how we pray that as he's there, that you might, Father, use him to encourage churches and pastors there in those lands. 
Father, we would pray as well, even as we have mentioned them already this morning, for our brothers and sisters, as well as the nation of the Ukraine. Father, how we pray that you would watch over them. How we pray that evil would be defeated. But Father, how we pray for our brothers and sisters in particular, we can't imagine what they might be going through. But Father, may they find hope in you. May they know nothing will separate them from the love of God, not even war. And Father, may you draw near to them. And may they find you to be their source of strength and help even during these days. So be with us as we open your word this morning, draw near by the work of your spirit and through your word. And may you receive all the glory and the honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take your Trinity hymn books once again, turning to 271, that familiar hymn to most of us, How Sweet and Awful is the Place knowing that there are some visitors here, just that word of explanation when we sing, how sweet and awful is the place with Christ within her doors. That word awful doesn't mean something that's bad. It means something that is awesome, something that is wonderful. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within her doors. 271. Let's stand together as we sing. Sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors, while everlasting love displays the choicest of her Did her 
good. You can be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, as we continue our study through this book together. This morning, we'll be looking, starting at verse 7, and hoping to make our way through verse 16. So Deuteronomy 7. You might recall that the children of Israel are about to enter into the promised land. God has given them... His commandments. He's given them the ten words. And the first commandment was this. You shall have no other gods before me. He was telling the children of Israel that as you enter into that promised land, I want you to be a people who are very devoted and very committed to me. I don't want you to look upon me as being a part of your life. I want you to consider me to be your life. To be passionate about who I am. He has reminded them that the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. And they were to love the Lord their God, with all their hearts, with all their souls, and with all their might. He goes on to tell them that they were to teach these things to their children. And they were to live out every day in the reality of these things. He has told them that their life is to be marked out by a fear of God and a sincere worship of God. They were to yield to Him as Lord, as Master. And that's demonstrated by their obedience to His directions. After all, He's the one who has brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage, by His mighty hand. And now He's bringing them to the land that He swore to their fathers. And once God brings them into that land, He tells them, I want you to destroy the nations that occupy the land. He lists seven of those nations. He tells them that they're not to enter into a relationship with those people. They're not to intermarry with them. But they were to tear down their altars. They were to smash their sacred pillars And they were to burn their graven images. All this demonstrating that you will have no other gods before me. It was absolutely vital for them to do those things in order that they would not be drawn away from the one true and the living God. And then the last time we were in this book, he reminds them, folks, you are a precious treasure to me. I treasure you. You are precious. This leads us to our passage today, which ought to stir our hearts as we consider these things together. I I believe if we embrace the things that we are looking at this morning, it will transform our lives. 
he expresses a couple different things about God in our passage this morning. And these truths, when they're fully embraced and understood, should lead the true child of God to have no other gods before Him. To be a people devoted to Him. To be a people who live for Him. So now note with me, starting in verse 7, these words. For the Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of, of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you, and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to thousands, generations, with those who love Him and keep His commandments but repays those who hate Him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. Therefore, you shall keep the command and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. We'll stop our reading there. I hope to pick up on verse 12 before... We end this service this morning. But I want you to consider a couple things about what Moses says as the mouthpiece of God concerning this God. God says, here's how I want you to live. Here's what I want you to do. And someone may ask, well, well who are you? Why should we do this? And Moses sets down at least two attributes about God that, that ought to move our hearts towards God. The first is God's love for His own. And the second is God's faithfulness to His own. So first of all, consider with me God's love for His own, verses 7 and 8. There, there are three things that we will note in these two verses about God's love for His people. We will consider together the assertion of that love, the, the source of that love, and, and then the result of that love. These three things. So first of all, the assertion of God's love. Back in verse 6, God has already made it clear that He has chosen them and, and made them a holy people. Look at verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. God says to them, you are my special possessions out of all the peoples of the earth. I have chosen you. You are precious to me. Now that's a, that's a, that's a speech of love. You are precious to me. 
Sometimes I trust on occasions we might look at our spouses and say, you are precious to me. What is that? I love you. I treasure you. We, we might look at our children, maybe not as often, but, but we might look at our children and say, I treasure you. You are precious to me. But then when you have grandchildren, oh, you're, you're a treasure, which is a language of love. And God has said that to these people. You're a precious possession. The question that might follow is, why? You ever looked at your spouse and say, I love you? And they turn around and say, why? And they hope you have some glowing things to say about them? Well, we might ask that about God. Why us? And why not other nations? Why Abraham's seed? Why not the Canaanites? Why not the Hivites? The Jebusites? Why us? The answer is given there in verse 7. The Lord did not set His love on you. You are chosen by God because He he loves you. The point that's being asserted is that God loved them. and And He chose them. They're His treasured possession. You know, the same language is used when speaking of of those to whom He makes a part of His new covenant. New covenant believers are spoken of in the same way. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1 and verse 3, we read these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us, In Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In love... He set His love upon His people. He predestinated us for the adoption of sons. He chose us. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, 13, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we should always thank God for you, brothers, who are loved by the Lord because God has chosen you from the beginning to be saved by the sanctification of the Spirit, and by faith in the truth. God set His love upon His people. Now, I know those two verses that I've read. To unpack them are sermons in and of themselves, but I I simply want to point out that this assertion of God's love for His people is not only true with regard to the Old Covenant, but it's true with regard to New Covenant believers. God set His love upon us. 
That's the assertion. But no, notice secondly, secondly, the source of God's love. How did this come about? What is behind God setting His love upon His people? In the Old Covenant with Abraham, did, did God see something in Abram that He thought would be good and pleasing? And therefore He set His love upon him and upon his children? Was it simply a, a random, just, let's see, eeny, meeny, miny, oh, okay, you. It just happened to fall that way. What's behind this? Was it simply a shot in the dark? Was it simply a drawing of straws? Here, whoever has the longest straw, I'll set my love upon you. God setting His love upon us, God choosing these people, points to His sovereignty. He loved and chose Abram above all the others on the earth so that those united to Him would be specifically blessed. Abram did not initiate this. God came to Abram and spoke to Abram there in Genesis chapter 12 with these words. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Abram, I have chosen you. Not because of your brilliance, not because of your wealth, not because of your godliness. God did so out of His own sovereign design, His own divine selectivity. He chose Abram and set His love upon him. Not because you are more in number, in fact, you're not more in number. When God comes to Abram, Israel's existence is still to really take place. He comes to Abram when he's a 75-year-old man. He's married to a barren woman. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. How does that happen? How does that take place? I'm going to make you the father of a mighty nation. So why? Why did he choose him? Because of his own divine, sovereign selectivity. That's why. Not for anything good in him. God simply chose him sovereignly. To be the father of a great nation. Notice how it says. Notice what it says. He says, The Lord set His love, verse 7, on you, and nor chose you because you were more in number than any peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you. Why did He choose them? Because He loved them. That's why. 
My wife says, why do you love me? One of my answers can be, because I love you. That's not the most romantic thing, you know. But I, I know why I love my wife. There were things I found her attractive. I, I, I saw her heart, her love for the Lord. There were many things that drew me to her. God doesn't say that about Abram. It wasn't Abraham. There's just something about you that I see that I really like. No, he just sovereignly set his love upon that man. In fact, he was probably one of the most unlikely men for God to set his love upon in human terms. Remember, remember when we used to have recess, uh, some of us, and we went outside and we'd get a good kickball game going? Remember those good kickball games? Usually we'd pick, what, two captains. The two captains would stand there. And they would choose. And you're standing there thinking, oh, please don't make me the last one. Please, please don't, because you know Big Johnny over here has bulging biceps and, and somebody over here is just very talented and you're just standing there hoping you're not the last one picked. It would be amazing if, if, if a captain say, all right, I want Calvin. I'd be, probably fall over. Wow, he wants me after, you know. Just, just this past week, I was watching a little TV, and, and there's a commercial. I don't even know what the commercial's about, but, but as I was studying this passage, and this commercial came on, and, and it was Charles Barkley. If you're not a basketball fan, you know who Charles Barkley is. He, he played basketball years ago. Big guy. Big guy. Played basketball. And he's surrounded by a bunch of little elementary kids. And they're going to play a game of basketball. Most of those children didn't come up to his waist. They're just little things. And, and, and so they, the captain, okay, who are you going to choose? And, and, and the captain says, I want Mr. Barkley. And Mr. Barkley goes, ha, 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 I knew I'd go first. I knew it. I knew I'd be picked first because I'm the basketball player. That's not how God decides. That's not what God picks the most unlikely. He did it with Abram. He does it today. Does the same thing today. The passage that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. For, I consider, for consider your calling, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not, not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God didn't choose us because we're wise or mighty or, or powerful. He chose the weak and the despised of the world so that all the glory goes to Him. We just sang the hymn, Lord, why was I a guest when thousands make a wretched choice and rather 
starve than come. God set His love upon His children. Does that, does that have any effect upon your life? You, you who are here who profess to be children of God, do you recognize that this was God's doing? Do you recognize that of all the hundreds and thousands upon thousands of people, He he brought me unto Himself as unworthy as I am. He was pleased to open my blind eyes. He was pleased to give life to my dead dead being. He he was pleased to show me my need of Christ. I, I don't deserve this. That ought to have an effect upon how I live and what I do. God's love for His own. We've seen the assertion. We've, we've seen the source. This is God's doing. And then notice the result. The result of God's love. Because of His sovereign love, the Lord has brought us out of bondage and redeemed us. That's what He did for the children of Israel. Notice again, verse 8, Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You've been a redeemed people. He's kept His oath. He's kept His promise. And He has redeemed you from your sins. Dear people, Here's, here's an illustration of God's sovereign election for salvation. And I know that there are those who would rise up against such things. I, I remember years ago when I was in college, someone reading a brochure to me that was on God's sovereign election. And, and, and the man said to me, this must be a Calvinistic brochure. And I said, really? What makes it a Calvinistic brochure? What does that mean? And he says, because it's about election. And I said, you know, election is a biblical term. Did you know that? This guy was studying for the ministry. He said, no. I said, you didn't... You didn't you think Calvin invented the term election? You, you, you think Calvin is the one that came up with, with God's sovereign selection? You think that's Calvin's doing? My friend, and I took him to Ephesians 1. I took him to Romans 8. I said, listen to what the... This is what God's Word says. And this ought not... Listen, this doesn't stifle evangelism. God has His people. And of all things, He uses us to share the Gospel, to bring them into His kingdom. It's not a futile work when we go out and give the Gospel. It is by the preaching of the Gospel that God brings in to His kingdom those who are outside. And no one can sit here this morning and say, well, there's my problem, Pastor. You see, I'm not a Christian because God has not divinely selected me. How do I know if God has divinely selected me? Well, my friends, this is how you'll know. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
you'll be one of the elect. That's what we know. We preach the gospel because the gospel is the means by which God brings His own unto Himself. We pray that God will save sinners because that is the work of God. And, and such a doctrine should not stifle our, our love for God, but, but such a doctrine ought to all the more enlarge our love for God. I, I deserve to go to hell. I I deserve to be separated from God. And yet God has set His love upon me. That is a God who deserves my obedience. He deserves my worship. When we really grasp this, it transforms our lives. It wasn't that I was so wise. I made the right choice. Therefore, give me glory. It is this is God's doing. And all the glory belongs to Him. He's redeemed me from my sin and brought me into a relationship with Him. God sets His love upon us. Well, we must move on. Notice secondly with me, God's faithfulness to His own. God's faithfulness to His own. Verses 9-11. through It is in light of God's love for His people that the people can be assured of His faithfulness. God will be faithful to His Word. This morning with the young people in Sunday school, we were talking about faith. And we were talking about how really we use faith every day. And I I told them that I noticed when they walked into the class this morning, they all just came in and sat down. They just popped themselves down. Not a one of those young people stopped, picked up the chair, made sure it was held together well, make sure nobody's going to play a trick on them, and then sit down. No, they just came, and by faith, they sat down thinking, this chair is going to hold me. Now, that might be true, but someday, I've had this happen. There was a man sitting around our our, our lunch table one time, and, and all of a sudden, his chair, bam! I mean, he was on the floor. I mean, it was such a loud crash. I'm thinking, lawsuit. <laughs> All right. So, so even though sometimes we exercise faith in how we sit down, it, it may fail us on occasion. All right. God will never fail us. He is a faithful God. He, he will always keep His Word. Notice, notice, first of all, the declaration. The declaration of that faithfulness. We read here, know that the Lord your God, He is God. He is the faithful God. They they are to know that that Yahweh, the Lord, is one. They're they're surrounded by nations who who seem to have many gods. So so what is stressed here again is, is the oneness of God. That there is one God. There's one true and living God. And that He is a faithful God. He's faithful. He will keep His Word. He will be true to His Word. He will bring about what He has promised. He is dependable. Trustworthy. He swore to their forefathers He would give them this land. 
And now, many, many years later, God is fulfilling that promise. He promised Abram, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And God is fulfilling that promise. God will keep His Word. He's a faithful God. That's the declaration. But notice the manifestation of that faithfulness. He keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. This is the language the same language that is used by God there in Exodus 34. Moses was to cut two stone tablets and replace the ones that had been shattered. And we are told that the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses and He called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed these words, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet He will not by any means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. He will keep His covenant. He will keep His Word to thousands. God cannot lie. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of that reality. Usually when you make a covenant with somebody, it's a, you, you trust that party. Well, God had made a covenant with the forefathers and He will be faithful to it. He will be true to His promise of blessing to those who love Him and keep His commandments. He will also be faithful to His Word to bring judgment upon those who oppose Him. Those who disregard His voice, God will judge. No, He will do this. Notice the language that is used there. Know, therefore, that the Lord is a faithful God. That's the manifestation. He keeps His Word. But then the application. Therefore, notice, here's the application. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. You're going to be an obedient people. You're going to do what God says. The heart of the true people of God is speak, Lord, and we will obey true child of God says, I want to pursue the things of God. It validates his profession as a child of God that he does the things of God. And that's true for us as well. If God has set his love upon us and he's redeemed us and he's been, he'll be faithful to his word, then we will be obedient to him. Wade read this morning there in Matthew chapter 12, these are my brothers and sisters. These are the ones I've entered into a relationship, the ones who hear the Word of God, and they do it. They do it. And so it is with the child of God who will be obedient to His Word. So, so we've seen the love that God has for His people, His faithfulness to His people, 
But then in verses 12 through 16, we have what I've simply entitled God's blessing on His people. God's blessing on His people. Follow as I read verses 12 through 16. And then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you His covenant and His loving kindness, which He swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the and the young of your flock in the land which He swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples, and there will be no male or female barren among you or among the cattle. The Lord will remove from you all sickness, and He will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt which you have known, but He will lay them all on, all, on those who hate Him. You shall consume all the people whom the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, nor shall you serve their gods, for they will be a snare to you. What blessings. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your vineyards. I'm going to bless your flocks. No one will be barren among you. I'll heal your diseases. You won't experience the sickness that you once had. These are the blessings I'm going to shower upon you. Now, we need to understand the Old Covenant is the context in which we find these blessings. It is dealing here primarily with physical blessings. Many of the promises given to Abraham were physical. They, they were for the offspring or for the land and etc. etc. And so here we have many physical blessings promised to the children of Abraham, to Israel. These people sadly were never so universally obedient that they enjoyed all these things. They never got to the point where they were so obedient that they enjoyed all these things. In fact, they weren't in the land very long until they were disobedient. They weren't in the land very long until they were found being people of unbelief, following after other gods, intermarrying with other nations. God has to bring judgment upon them because of their disobedience. They never fully enjoyed these things. Read the prophets. Read the minor prophets and hear about the judgment that falls upon them because of their disobedience and their arrogance. And I know that there are some preachers in our day that can take a passage like this and have a heyday. Follow Christ and all will be well. No more sickness. Your, your womb will be open. You'll enjoy prosperity. But my friends, we who are New Covenant believers, we have a prosperity that we're wait, waiting to enjoy. 
There's the promise of blessing that, that is still to come that we may not experience here upon earth. But, but we eagerly anticipate that day. In fact, times, at times we look around and it looks like the wicked are prospering. It looks like the wicked are doing well. And, and we might question what in the world's going on. We're, we're sort of like John there in, in, in Matthew chapter 11. Are, are you the Messiah? We look for another. I don't, you're, you're, you're supposed to be establishing your kingdom and yet here I am in jail. And, and the wicked seem to be prospering. Um, I don't know what, what's going on with all this. And we, and we can find ourselves the same way. We, we're your people, God, and yet we, we have these challenges and these difficulties that we pass through. And my dear friends, I, I just want to encourage you, there is a, a day of great blessing that is still before us that, that we ought to long for. There, there is a day when what God has prepared for us will come to pass. There is a new heaven and a new earth that awaits us. There will be a time when, when sin will, will no longer defile this person and decay will no longer defy this body. There is a day coming. Jesus Himself says, listen, I'm going to leave you, but, but I go to prepare a place for you that, that where I am, there you may be also. There are great blessings that, that we are headed towards and long for. Look over. You're familiar with it. Look over to Revelation. Revelation 22. Well, 21. And, and here's my point. As these blessings were listed off, we realize under the New Covenant... There are even greater eternal blessings that God is preparing for His people now. Something much better. For we know that John writes, verse, 20, verse 1 of Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and, and there is no longer any sea. And, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. There, there's a time coming when, when we will be in the very presence of, of Almighty God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. There's a great day of blessing coming. No more death, no more disease, no more disappointment, no more decay. In the presence of Almighty God, my friend, what He promised Israel by way of physical blessings pale compared to what God promises His children by and by. Now, dear people, as we think of what God did for His children in the Old Covenant, as He set His love upon them, as He is faithful to them and, and redeemed them, 
and promise them great blessings. In Christ, we've experienced the same thing. God has set His love upon us when we were so undeserved. Well, you know, written over all this is these words. Grace. Grace. It's by my grace I have set my love upon you. I have redeemed you. I will be faithful to you and keep your words. And there is great blessing that yet awaits. That, my friend, ought to truly affect how we live. I'm amazed at the number of people who profess to be the children of God. Therefore, they would have to profess, God has set His love upon me when I was undeserving. God has been faithful to me. And God has great blessings in store for me. They would have to profess all these things, and yet they still live for themselves. I, I don't get it. I don't understand that. How do you continue to love things and money and possessions more than God when you profess that you're one of His children, that He, by His sovereign selectivity, pulled you out of darkness and gave you marvelous light, has promised you great blessings, has been faithful? Why hasn't that affected my life every day? Why? That ought to so move us. One preacher talks about a woman that he once knew who came to understand these truths about God setting His love sovereignly upon her, about God's faithfulness to her. And she said, there are two things that I draw from this. Number one, Now I have a God who's worthy to be worshipped. We have a God who's worthy to be worshipped. But the second thing is a sad thing. Because I don't understand why nobody told me this before. Why didn't anybody set these truths before me? My dear people, here they are. What are we going to do with them? I trust It causes us to say, this God deserves my worship. He deserves my life. I don't want Him just to be a part of my life. I want Him to be my life. May God help us. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And we pray that that these things would be transforming. That, Father, we would stand amazed at Your love and at Your grace on people who are so undeserving. Father, how we pray that as the people of God, we would rise up and give You praise and give You glory. Behold, what great love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And Father, how we pray that those who may sit among us who do not know You, that just hearing about this, God, would would put a longing in their heart to know You. And that, Father, You would be pleased to, to bring them to Jesus Christ, who alone is able to save them from their sins and, and bring forgiveness. Only one way for a man to stand before God justified through Jesus Christ and Christ alone 
And how we pray that today some may come to know that reality. So Father, take Your Word and by the work of Your Spirit, work in our hearts and lives, bringing us ever closer to You. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your hymn books, turning to hymn 402. 402. That familiar hymn of John Newton's, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saves a Wretch Like Me. 402. Sure. 